Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. A graphic novel, a TV show, well it's not TV, it's HBO, and will this thing succeed, and by how much, man? And some might cheer, and some might scoff, because it's Damon Lindelof, but either way we're off to watch some Watchmen. Watching Watchmen Talking Watchmen Analyzing Watchmen And maybe arguing over Watchmen Welcome to Watchmen Watch. Who watches it? We get ready to watch it as we are coming up on Watching Watchmen on HBO. But first, we're going to be watching a comic book, which just kind of sits there. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about the final issue of oh, the Watchmen comic, yeah. the 12th issue, A Stronger Loving World, as we wrap up our recap of the comic and transition Totally seamlessly into recapping the TV show. No breaks there. Don't even worry about it. Uh, Before we get into it, though, I'm a little concerned here. I see you, Justin. I see you, Pete. Our fourth co-host, including myself, because four people isn't here. What's going on? Well, it's great that you're here. I actually have some very exciting news. Alan is here. Alan, go ahead and introduce (gasps) yourself. Hello, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. What? He's not here. It's, oh, man. He bailed that again. Was, oh, yeah. That we're was doing like this really over, insulting that person. Yeah, we do this over video Skype chat. So even though I can see you when you start doing that voice, I was like, I'm convinced he's here. Yeah. Uh, that's how yes, good your voice was. I am here. Oh, he's here again. Petey's here. No, that, that's just me. That's how, oh, that's how okay. seamless when you're a classically trained actor as oh, I am. Boy. You can slip in and out of a character. Um, yeah. Sorry, Alan Moore um, isn't going to make it um, for the 12th and final time. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that is too bad. Well, hopefully, I know how psyched he is about the show. He's been out on the promotional tour, chatting it up, talking about what's going on in HBO. Yeah, he's at a Buffalo Wild Wings premiere party. For um, Watchmen. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be there for that. He has a whole new sauce. You kidding me? Come on. He has a sauce that's branded the Alan Moore um, uh, nuclear explosion wings. I I heard they're also putting that on the Rorschach shows. Yep, that's like, uh, th- those are nachos. They're, yes, it's thank tricky. You. Uh, he's Alan Moore's lost his step as a writer, especially when it comes to naming uh, product tie-in appetizers. He used to be so uh, good at that too. It's surprising. Yes, that's right. Um, he was the one that came up with unlimited breadsticks. They used to be um, <laughs> unlimited potential Dr. Manhattan breadsticks. Huh. Uh, wow. That's all Were why I always feel like it's five minutes to midnight whenever I go to the Olive Garden. 100%. <laughs> yeah. And Guys, so their, their original uh, slogan was, when you're here, you have a blue dick. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they changed it to family. Yeah. Oh, uh, I remember I went there one time and I was like, hey, we've been waiting for a while for our food. Can we get our food? And they're like, oh, you ate it 35 minutes ago. Yep, that's that's how they made a fortune in the early days. <laughs> they get you every time they get you. Do you know who also gets you? Adrian Veidt gets you. Ozymandias gets you. And he gets the entire world. He got them. He did the ultimate punked episode. He punked the entire world yep. in this issue. I'm really glad I went for that reference. No, this is the context we should speak about this final issue in. <laughs> it's the ultimate punkting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so when we left the characters of this book, I was about to say the what. <laughs> when we left when we left the characters, we said a hearty goodbye last uh, issue, and here we are, knock, knock, knocking on the characters' doors again. Let's go inside, issue 12. Uh, hello, Watchman, you there? Hello, it's me. It's Alan Moore. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, the New York got destroyed by a giant psychic squid that Ozymandias dropped there in order to... Create a fake alien invasion, which is something that we affirm in. We talk about more of this issue uh, in order to promote and cause world peace. Uh, right now, Night Owl and Rorschach are both at Adrian Veidt's headquarters. Uh, they've just been told about his plan. They were pretty shocked at the end of this issue when it actually turned out to actually have happened. Um, meanwhile, Silk Spectre and Dr. Manhattan are all the way up on Mars, though they're heading that way as well. And everything comes crashing together in this oversized final issue. Before we get into it, this feels like a very dumb question to ask with Watchmen. Having revisited the series, what'd you think about it? <laughs> uh, well, but really, I, I mean, like, we've been talking about this all along, but I'm curious now that we've reached the end now and we're going to go through the whole issue and we're going to walk through the issue. But what was your general take on it with this rereading now in 2019? I think, too, uh, we change as readers over the years, obviously, and I haven't fully sat down and read this in probably six or seven years. And I do think, um, just as a, a fan of comics, uh, the, the longer, the older you get and the more time passes, the time that you, more time that you live and, like, are a fan of comics, are just are in the world where the political atmosphere change, is changing all the time. I think the, this comic deepens so much. So I do think that happened. I, and I think the topicality of reading it right now in our political atmosphere, um, the current sort of uh, state of the world, and with the series about to come out and sort of reframe this, this whole series, it's, it's an exciting time to read this comic. How about you, Pete? How are you feeling about it now? Well, it's, one, it's you know, it's a, it's a lot to talk about. But, like, uh, for sure, I mean, the problem is... You know, when you're looking at a comic like this that was written so long ago, there's a lot of bullshit that you have to kind of try to ignore, like the female characters, the over-sexualization. The, you know, there's a lot of, like, bullshit. Uh, but um, I will I say that was that was there in the original read. Yeah. yeah. They didn't yes. take the women, any more women out. They, they didn't. <laughs> it didn't used to pass the Bechtel test and then now suddenly has failed it. Yes. Uh, well, I will say uh, this is coming right off of right before we taped. There was a thread in our Patreon Slack about this very issue, which, frankly, I think is what Pete's uh, very rightly responding to. And that's something we've talked about all along in the podcast, that this it's an incredible comic book. It's an un 
deniable artistic achievement, but it's also very much a product of its time at the same moment. Um, I think something I struck by, which you've talked about a lot and you just mentioned, Justin, is the very timeless aspects of the book in terms of criticizing society, talking about panic, talking about conspiracy theories that feel so relevant right now. But to Pete's point, same sort of thing that, yes, the female characters are absolutely underserved. And I think from a 2019 perspective, when we've seen, I'm not going to say an infinite more, but a lot more female creators and male creators also being more cognizant about these sort of things in terms of creating books. We've certainly seen a revolution in comic books. I mean, if you look at sales, the predominant force in comic books today isn't Marvel comic books. It isn't DC comic books. It's Raina Tellmeyer, who is mostly writing graphic novels for young females almost more than anything. And that's, if you look at the New York Times bestsellers right now, that's what people are reading. That's what they're being influenced by. So in a certain sense, this, just from the comic book perspective, is responding to comic books that were coming out in the mid-80s and before that and pushing those forward. A lot of, like we've talked about over the course of the podcast, comics since then have been responding and riffing off of Watchmen, often taking the wrong lessons in terms of uber macho and dark and grimness and all these things. But to its credit, despite the fact that it does have some serious issues in terms of the female characters, which I think we'll also get to later in this issue when we get to certain material with Sally Jupiter in particular, I think most one of the most controversial things that happens at all 12 issues happens yeah. towards the end here. Yes. Uh, But there are also things that are still very relevant and from a modern read, again, like we've been talking about all along, Alan Moore and Dave Givens are never telling you this is these are good people. This is the right way of doing things. Well, that's what I feel like is to your the the thing of taking the wrong lessons like this is not like a uh, misogynistic comic in that it's like, hey, this is these characters are right. This is what's happening. It, this comic, I feel like, criticizes so much of the comic book industry and the character development that most comics were having in their pages back then when it came out. So I, I, I agree. It, like the female characters are underserved, and you don't see them a lot. But they they are they have depth of character. They're not just there as mm-hmm. objects. Um, and then the the male characters are like mostly horrible people, and they're shown to be that way. The greatest heroes are the most flawed. And Rorschach in this issue, who is the only one that really has integrity at the end of the day, is just mercilessly struck down. So I'm just saying I think there's there's this comic is subverting a lot of the stereotypes as well Mm -hmm. as it upholds them. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, uh, you know, it's it's also like very, you know, like you're right with a lot of things. But you're saying, yeah, they, they don't. But the female characters don't. They don't have conversations on their own. It's always talking about, and like at the end, not to kind of jump ahead, but like you're saying, like, you know, she she loves her rapist. I mean, that's like, that's, it's, yeah, it's not well done. No, so that, well, like, that's a, I that's understand a, what you're saying, mm, but like, you know, a lot, there's no, a lot of really I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm on board with what you're saying, Pete, for the most part, except for the it's not well done, because to Justin's point, and this is very much jumping to the end and talking about the Sally Jupiter of it all, but it's 
it's complicated emotions that she's feeling. And I think you don't have to agree with what she's feeling, but it is a very, it's a very realistic thing for people to not feel the right thing all the time, you know, to in fact have the wrong feelings about the wrong people. That's how gaslighting works. That's how abuse works is that you feel, feel something or think you feel something towards your abuser even if it's not actually a good thing to feel, if that yeah. makes sense. It's one thing to glorify what happens at the end. And I agree, mm-hmm. it is controversial. When she kisses that picture, uh, it's like it leaves you with a bad feeling. Yeah. But I, and I, maybe there, it's hard to tell what the intention of that move mm-hmm. is, but it, it's definitely confusing. And it, but it does feel like it's coming from a place of the character, but the character is wrong. Like, in mm-hmm. in feeling that way, the character is. I mean, it's hard to say that, I guess, but the character feels. It, it makes you feel bad uh, in, about everyone's lives in this comic. Yeah, I could be wrong. I'm trying to flip through the comic quickly to take a look at it. Um, I guess she doesn't. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was there, but uh, I th- don't. They mention. Don't they give her like nostalgia or something like that? The perfume at some point in that scene, or am I imagining that? I think you're Whatever imagining it, that he's Dan's wearing it when he's with Laurie. There you go. That's what I'm thinking of. So I think what I take away from that scene, and we're very much jumping to the end of the issue here, just to give you guys a little context listening at home. Uh, Dan and Laurie are in disguise after everything else that we're going to talk about in the issue. They go to visit Sally Jupiter uh, and chat with her a little bit. Uh, Laurie reveals that she knows her father is Eddie Blake. Sally starts sobbing, talks about the complicated emotion of it, uh, and as Justin mentioned, ends up kissing the picture. Uh, What I took away from that is that feeling of nostalgia, right? It's almost the same thing that Ozymandias is working for, like the same way he's talking about this very vague, wonderful, hopeful future where everybody's going to work together, when in practice it may not turn out that way. Nostalgia is the same way, right? We have fuzzy memories. We think warm things about things. Well, and there's and another, there's oh, another way ahead, to read Justin. it. I mean, I agree with you. There's another way to read it, too. Like, she's just seen her daughter, who uh, she thought was dead, surprised her by walking in, is uh, in a relationship that ostensibly seems happy. They're talking about having kids. And I think there's something – it could just be like she, she's happy that she had her child despite mm-hmm. the horrible circumstances right. that uh, in relationships she had with the comedian. So it's like a lot of great writing. It's open for interpretation. And one of the interpretations is super fucked up, but there are others <laughs> that you can take from that. Well, and the other yeah. thing we talked about back in the issue where it was revealed that Eddie Blake was Lori's father when she realized that, I think there was issue nine, maybe, maybe issue 10, mm-hmm. um, is... That there's, and I think we disagreed with this, but I still stick by the interpretation that Eddie Blake does feel something towards Laurie and he feels something towards Sally. That doesn't in any way forgive his actions or what he's done or make him less of a monster, but that doesn't mean he can't also be passionate towards these people in the same way, though ultimately he is a bad guy. Uh, Pete, I interrupted you though. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that, like, you know, like, it, you uh, you know, some of these things that happen are, sure, awful. We're trying to show these people as not good people, sure. But, like, also, like, 
All Lori does is she's just sleeping with dudes every time you see her or she's on her knees in a sexualized position. So it's like, you know, if there was some kind of like gleam, you know, some kind of good quality that they would try to portray, I think it would just go a little bit easier with like, you know, kind of being like, oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you what, I... I will disagree with you at certain points on this issue in particular that I do feel like has a re-owning of the Lori Blake character and does push her forward into giving her much more agency, which we'll get to in a moment. So Mm -hmm. let's say, let's put a pin into this discussion. I'm sure we'll revisit it throughout the issue. And why don't we jump into a page by page of what's going on real easy, by the way, to get through these first couple of pages. I'm just going to say. Yeah, just uh, so, real easy. Just like <laughs> flipping right through them. Just a bunch of destruction, squid legs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh-huh, it's great. You can just like pale horse. Would love to see pale horse sold out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, these man, this uh, has this series used full page splashes at any point previously? No, not and that definitely not back to back. So I think uh, that's what is so amazing about this is the way to sort of hold that back and then to let uh, Dave Gibbons just, like, go to town here and and the colors in this issue, these, these mm-hmm. pages as well are just so amazing. John Higgins. Yeah. Um, it, we see little, uh, like, references to everything we've seen before. We see characters that we've met who are now laying dead in the streets. It's just such epic uh, storytelling um, and play used at, j- at just the right moment in the series. I yeah, mean, and I from- definitely... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Pete. Uh, I definitely like looked through it to see if there was anything like this. And the closest you get is when they're on Mars. But it's not like, you know, Mm -hmm. giant scenes like this. Just such a great like they thought about the paneling and the coloring and how it was going to hit you so well. I mean, the layers. uh, It's very impressive. Yeah, uh, two things in particular I want to call out about the sequence, which is, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six pages long. Uh, the first page is blood pouring over the clock, which, of course, calls to mind the comedian's button because it's the same colors there with the blood and the clock, even though it's a different design. And the but sequence also, actually ends on page six with a sm- very small comedian's button on underneath yes. the news uh, thing. Yeah, that's right. Uh But it's also, that's been the back matter the entire time. Every time you get to the end page, you see the blood dripping down to the clock. Uh, To be honest, I'm not 100% sure if that's in just the collected edition or that was in the original issues. Uh, But Mm. that's, I think, super fascinating. The other thing that I think is incredible about this is the way they slowly work out the squid because you look at that first page, it's not there. You just see the destruction. Second page... If you're not looking closely, uh, at least my eye initially went towards Madison Square Garden. You see the pale horse and crystal knocked uh, poster. You see the destruction there. And it isn't until you look at the next page and you go, wait a second, what's that weird thing coming across the left side of the page that you look up and you see it connects to this tentacle. It's clearer and clearer as you go on, as you see more destruction until you get to that sixth page and you see the squid face reveal the same as that drawing we saw back on the island so many issues ago at this point. Uh, and as you mentioned, Justin, papers falling everywhere with war. We see the news. We see the comedian button. It's really everything coming together at this point. 
Yeah, it's so good. And just the way that that final squid uh, panel, you really get to look it right in the eye and just see what a, what a monstrous creation this whole thing was. Yeah, it's the final squid down, as they say. Oh, now, come on. What? What? Uh, then we get into a series of pages where Lori and Dr. Manhattan have come back to Earth. Dr. Manhattan being predictably an asshole about all of this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he really is. I don't know why. Yeah. Like the, rest of, the rest of the series, I was like, yeah, I get it. You're all out of time or whatever. But this, he's standing in the middle of this, and he's like, oh, this is interesting. And I'm like, fuck you, dude, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, well, I, th- I do he's think... He's kind of like, smiling as he's looking around. Well, I think he's intoxicated by this feeling he doesn't know what's happening. This is the first time this has happened, really, since his accident, where he is uh, unaware of what... It's a, uh, the first mystery he's really faced, where he wasn't in control in a long time, and he's clearly intoxicated by it. He doesn't care about any of the other characters, really, in this. He's just uh, enjoying his little fix here, and he really sees himself as a god no matter what he actually is. Now, not to open this particular can of worms again, but one thing uh, that I understand the complications here, but one thing that I do think is in Laurie's credit that I really like in the scene is she is the one character in the book up until later on when Rorschach starts crying, and we'll certainly talk about that, that feels any sort of emotion. She has any sort of feeling about what's going on. Night Owl and Rorschach are literally and figuratively very removed from everything that's going on. Ozymandias is obviously very into his plan. Dr. Manhattan is being an asshole. But Laurie is sobbing and noticing the little things, and I think that does point to her power as a character. The the reason I say it's a complication is because it's the one female character who is allowed to feel things. But to your point, Justin, I do wonder if that is them pointing out how comics work that the men need to be uber men and the women are allowed to be women, maybe? Or am I giving them too much credit there? I mean, I think it could be. Also, I just it just tracks with her character. Like, she's someone who is, like, very empathetic, I feel like, throughout, mm-hmm. and just always going through it. Whether that's attributed to her or just, like, women are like that, says I, Alan Moore. But uh, I, I do think also... One another good thing about the way she acts in this scene is she's fully moved on from her feelings toward John and is just like, mm-hmm. all right, take me out of here now. I'm sick of being around you and this horrible, horrifying scene. Yeah. Uh, so then we do cut to Adrian Veidt, who's still talking to Night Owl and Warshak, and I love Nordell's reaction here, where he's like, "Well, that's ridiculous. What are, what are you even talking about? That's that can't possibly be true." Why Why do you think it's important that he has that reaction? I, I don't know. I've never... Night Owl in this whole issue, he just... A character that we're supposed to really feel for and be like, oh, he is the maybe the hero of this story. Like, he's the one who really helps put it together and is, like, trying to have this romantic relationship that we're all behind. He's, like, doesn't believe Adrian Veidt. He doesn't really do anything in this issue. He just sort of floats there. And it's weird because he, over the arc of his of, of Night Owl through this series has been like he really got his mojo back. And in this issue, he's just like, hey, what? Uh, I don't know what, what's happening. I don't believe any of you. And then he's like, I'll have sex with you, Laurie. Yeah. What's your take on it, Pete? Do you well, have – uh, Well, I think that ahead. he is like – yeah, he's just kind of 
in total shock. Is not you know not really comprehending what's happening. He's not really aware. And uh, yeah, and like just kind of. And that's what sucks is he got to this point and he's not, you know, at least Rorschach was trying to fight. Uh, but, yeah, he's just in complete shell shock mode and kind of like shut down, um, which, you know, I definitely have heard like people say that, like when something like tragic or they can't believe happens, they just kind of go into ghost mode and they're just mm-hmm. kind of like kind of like removed from all of that's happening. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I believe that's called enacting ghost protocol. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. That's why yeah. in Ghost Protocol, Tom Cruise is like, "What? Wait, what? What's happening yeah. in this movie?" That's oh, what he says. I, I don't want to deal with this. No thanks. Yeah, but they're um, like, "Their mission, if you choose to accept it," and he's like, "No thanks. I'm good. Yeah, not yet. Please <laughs> blow yeah, up tape." I agree with I agree with you. What you're saying about Lori, like she does, she's the only one to like gets her shit together here and puts up a fight. But then mm-hmm. the fact that like, you know, uh, let's just have sex again. It's like God, you know, like can she just you know? I mean, what did she what? though? I don't know. I think I, that was proactive. after after that. Like, I'm a man. I want to have sex all the time. But like, after <laughs> like, okay, first big off, reveal, big reveal, Pete, for the end of even this. Even right pod- now on our podcast, no. But like, this turns uh, you on. This no. is the only time you don't want to have sex is when you're talking to <laughs> us. Oh my God, yeah, <laughs> that seems weird. So, but I'm my point is, like, right after all that happened, like, it seems like that's, you know, like, hey, by the way, uh, you know. I'm sorry to interrupt you one more time, but what if I put on my sexiest voice, Pete? <laughs> I'm so hot right now. Uh, <laughs> anyways. You, I'm starting to feel like I didn't have my mojo, like Night Owl. Yeah, I don't, think you, I don't think you do have it. Um, Are you sure, Pete? <laughs> Please, for the love of God, stop. Uh, also, Alex, objectively, that's not a sexy voice. <laughs> oh, are you sure? But that's too much to have happen. You sound like you have a cold. To then want to do <laughs> I that. I do. It's my a very point. bad cold. Do you like that? I need Sorry, to Pete. get a hanky. Sorry, Pete. Alex, be quiet. Pete, it's your turn to talk. No more sex talk. I'm just saying it's... It's too much to have okay. happen to then be like, hey, let's have sex. Well, but I will say it. I mean, we'll get to that in a second, but it's Lori's idea. It's not like Dan's like, all right. Yeah. Let's get lucky. <laughs> yeah. But it's I'm just saying her only purpose is a sexual object. She should have more. Is I, would like. um, I, I understand what you're saying, and I understand you're hitting the same drum, but uh in that scene, and we're definitely jumping ahead, Lori is the one who says it. And this might be a shock to you, but some women like to have sex as well. So, yeah, but I don't dude, know. I, I think that's her actually taking control, if anything, when there's all these men who have been wanting to have sex with her. And she finally says, no, you know what? It's the end of the world. This is what I want. This is what I need right now. Cool. And and in her time of crisis in the past, when her marriage was falling apart and she didn't know what was what she was going to do, she did find comfort in Dan's arms, and maybe it's that. But uh, on Pete's side, it is weird that they did she. That's the scene we see with them. They don't have much mm-hmm. of a romantic moment. They just fuck by a pool. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's definitely a surprising thing. When I was a and kid, I, I, when I was a kid also- reading this, I was like, what? It gives okay. Dr. Manhattan, a, he's happy for some reason about that, which is weird. 
Because I think he, at that moment, I, I've always read that as he, they belong together. And he's like, I should go. I don't belong here <laughs> I gotta anymore. Go, I got to go to space, I guess. Yeah, like good. when I walk in on my partners having sex with another man, I yeah. smile and I'm like, on to the next town. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So uh, Night Owl and Rorschach are there. There's a great series of uh, panels that happen where Night Owl is calling out Adrian Veidt. He's like, you got assassinated. What if he had shot you instead of the secretary? And Adrian says, I suppose I would have had to catch the bullet, wouldn't I? And Night Owl says, you, nah, come on, that's completely... You couldn't really do that. And then there's just a silent battle of Adrian Veidt smiling and looking at him. I love that expression so much. I know. Talk it's, about being an asshole. What a dick yes. in this uh, series of panels. Now, I, I always thought this was set up long before the whole catching the bullet thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really is just like he says it here and then he does it a couple pages later, which I thought was so funny. That's become such a thing associated with him. But yeah. it really is just like a last minute, like, I could do that. See? And he does it. That, that's well, I, I think. Oh, go ahead, Pete. That's fucked up, though, that the evil villain smile is your favorite panel, dude. No, I just think it's a well-drawn expression on the, the part of Dave Givens and the way that it's timed out there is excellent. Uh, the The thing I would say, Justin, about that, that that points to, which we've talked about before, is that. Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons made sure that these issues were a package. You know, there's certainly things that are long running throughout. There are things plot wise that pay throughout, but every issue (laughs) it does introduce things and then pay them off several pages later. You know, there's still this sense of, yes, this is the last issue, but if you're going to be plunking down your money to buy just this issue, you're still going to get kind of a complete story at the same time, which I think is pretty neat. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I just think it's funny how that has grown to be such a bigger thing about his character over the years. Mm-hmm. Another thing about about Night Owl, I do think um, Adrian Veidt is sort of a, on a pedestal for Night Owl in the same way that Night Owl 1 was for him. So that might explain some of his uh, sort of inactive uh, inactivity throughout this whole issue. Is He's his hero in a way, it seems. And his hero just became the biggest villain in all of history. Yeah. Now we get to the next part when Dr. Manhattan shows up. And this to me is fascinating. This gets back to something that we talked about with the last issue with Ozymandias, which is that, frankly, he's actually been improvising a lot. He hasn't really had these well-laid plans. And this point, when Dr. Manhattan shows up, there's a point where he's like, "Mm, maybe he's going to turn back. We'll see what happens. And as soon as he does not, Adrian Veidt goes into oh shit mode where he just has to throw everything at him because he's not sure anything will work. Uh, so that's one thing going on. The other thing that's really well, wait, cool. But on, that, on that, though, yeah, it is funny that he uh, he has this very like years long plan that he, can't, he put together. And then his plan to beat Dr. Manhattan was like, I hope he follows my cat down this hallway. And then he turns <laughs> on the thing. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely not as great. Much like Dr. Manhattan, Adrian Veidt is also not all he's cracked up to be. It's just what he thinks about himself and where we go along with it. And I think that's why so many people take the wrong lessons from this. They're like, that that character's confident. He must be right. And he's uh, just a human like anybody else, both these guys. He just really believes in himself and his evil plan. 
Yeah. A little detail that I really like a lot uh, that, again, talking about Lori's humanity and her connection to humanity is she is carrying a bag the entire time, which I believe she took from the wreckage of Manhattan. And so what she's taking is she's taking literal baggage with her as she travels down to the superhero confrontation where everybody else is playing their games and blowing each other up in hallways and fighting. But she's the only one that really knows and understands what's happened in the world. And she's bringing all of that with her. She's essentially the way I took it is taking justice for the world along with her. And obviously it doesn't work out in the long run, but that that's the indication I took from that bag. She has sort of a Pandora uh, role in this where she's like sort of maintaining the hope and, and all these people and sort of keeping everything going. Maybe that's why she has a little Pandora's bag. Hmm. Uh, the other thing that's neat that happens is we get a double sequence almost that is laid out almost exactly the same way where Dr. Manhattan is war- walking up to the fortress and he says, I- I'm sorry, these tachyons, there's muddling things up. I'd better follow him inside. But he's actually saying that later when he is following Adrian Veidt on the next page. It's parallel panels. They're in the same exact position on both pages. But he's actually saying that to Night Owl, the exact same phrase. And that happens a couple of times. This is just so great, just in terms of layout, just in terms of pacing and everything. It's very neat. Yeah, and the way that he's in the same, maybe just said the same position, and you can swap Night Owl and Laurie. They're in the exact Mm -hmm. same spots if you flip quickly back and forth. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, And the other thing... That happens here is very briefly, you can see he's put Lori in a protective bubble, which makes sense because she's in Antarctica and she's not wearing pants. Uh, But as soon as he disappears, he completely forgets about her. She is left alone to walk through Antarctica without the protective bubble and has to walk in again. Total asshole. Yeah, not cool, dude. Keep your force field up. Speaking of not cool, you mentioned the hallway earlier that Ozymandias lures him into. Ozymandias kills Bubastis, blows him up. Very sad. Do you think, like Dr. Manhattan, like John Osterman before him, is Bubastis is going to be able to come back as some sort of blue cat? Um, Thanks for chiming in, guys. <laughs> 100% yes, Alex. Um, I think that cat is who we're going to really focus a lot on in the Watchmen TV show. Oh, man, I mm. hope so. A lot of time-traveling cat. Uh, yeah, yeah, I really felt like the cat was underused in the comic, and uh, I, you know, I, I hope we do get more of it in the next series. Do you think there's a possibility, we've only seen a trailer for it so far, but in the Cats movie... At the end, they're going to turn and say, by the way, this was Watchmen. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. The Bubastis goes to the Cats uh, universe, cinematic universe. Mm -hmm. Bubastis would fit right in with old Deuteronomy and Trash, Trash Face. (laughs) I don't know. I think a lot of the cats are named Trash. (laughs) It's a common Uh, name. So let's jump over to the bullet-catching sequence. Uh, Lori is sobbing. She comes on Ozymandias after he's blown up Dr. Manhattan and Bubastis, and she says, Vite, you're an asshole, and she shoots him, and he bleeds. Now, how, how do you read this sequence? Because the way that I took it is he does catch the bullet, but true to form, 
he also gets very hurt at the same time. That's yes, what I, I think so. Time. I think he caught it in his hand, and his hand got bloody from the bullet. Yeah, uh, which points to that he's very athletic. He is very smart, but he's not actually superhuman, same as we've been talking about all along. That's what I'm saying, uh, unless that's bean juice. Mm, what do you think, Pete? Is it bean juice? I don't know. Man, you know, it could be like capsules that he has, for, you know, for the show. But like, yeah, I mean, that's this to me was such a like 80s kind of moment where you have like the karate move that saves the day. Um, and he like catches the bullet, but it just makes me mad that it's like, Lori, shoot. I, it bothers me when people, if you want to do something, do it. Don't talk beforehand to give up somebody a chance to turn around and get in their karate stance. Shoot know, somebody. Man. If you, if you have a somebody. chance to use a cool line, use that cool line. I oh, agree yeah? completely. I'm just going to drop the line if I have a second. Yeah. What's your line going to be, Justin? Uh, hmm. It'd be like, am I pointing this in the right direction or what? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to shoot myself shoot in the yeah. hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Time to get loaded oh, because man. I forgot to load my gun with bullets. And then the guy shoots me. Uh, yeah, oh, that's good. I'm going to say guns make me uncomfortable. <laughs> and then pull the trigger. Uh, or that's maybe a cool not. line. These are all very cool lines. Pete, do you have a cool line you're going to say? Yeah, I would shoot a bunch, and then as they were dying, I would just be like, uh, fuck you guys. Oh, wow. <laughs> you'd, you'd say afterwards, fuck you guys, but they yeah. wouldn't hear you, Pete. Uh, they yeah, might hear dead. a little bit of it as they're dying. I guess what I would say is, like all men, I'm turned on right now, no matter what <laughs> I'm doing. <laughs> Uh, then we get an amazing sequence. Dr. Manhattan was not actually blown up. He's totally fine, and he's enormous and bashes into the Arctic retreat. Um, I appreciate the fact that we do not see his enormous blue dick at any point of the sequence, uh, but he does come down to normal size, at which point Adrian Veidt turns on his wall of TVs. We get to see exactly what's happening in the world, and very quickly, because of the psychic rays that have spread throughout the world. And this is, uh, I want to go back to this in a second because it threw me a little bit. Uh, the squid not only blew up because of the psychic rays, but also sent thoughts out to psychics all over the world uh, and seeded the story that he had created with all of these writers. And ultimately, again, in a very short period of time, Russia and the United States cease hostilities. They decide to work together against this extra-dirensional threat. Uh, and we end with a panel of Ozymandias standing in front of the Alexander painting in essentially a spotlight saying, I did it! Like he's five years old. Um the psychics thing threw me a little bit because we've talked about how Dr. Manhattan is really the only superhero in this world, but this seems to establish that there are people with other extra normal powers in the world of Watchmen. How did you take it? Yeah. I mean, he does. I mean, he says he, the way he got the psychic wave to come out of the squid was by getting a psychic's brain. And there are people out there who are sensitive to it. Um, I also think maybe Alan Moore just believes that. Yeah, so. I think, yeah, he's very, <laughs> he's always been very, you know, 
when he does, uh, you know, Comic Cons, you know, I'm always hearing him talking about how psychics, he believes psychics, psychics are real. And, you know, he's like, this is just proves my point. So, yeah. And you mean when he does Comic Cons and also when we all hang out and get some PSLs or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Because he's one of the co hosts of the show. Yes, we do that. Oh, he's back. Hey, Alan. No, again, once again, that was me. Oh, and, uh, don't think it's going to go by that you said PSL, meaning pumpkin spice latte, and no one's going to be <laughs> like, yo, Alex, don't bring that shit into our house. Oh, I thought you meant to say, like, PSP or something. No, no, I meant to say PSLs. They're back, um, man. They're back. It's October. They're, they're, I thought you meant PCP, which is what we usually take when we're all hanging out. <laughs> yeah, we take I it. usually have uh, a PSPCP, which is pumpkin spice PCP. Oh, man. <laughs> Pumpkin. They don't make that. <laughs> no, they do. It's very uh, boutique. Let's talk about this panel, though, this Ozymandias panel where he does the Steve Holt, raises up his hands and says, <laughs> I did it. Yeah. What Again, what do you take away from that? I know I've been saying that phrase a lot this episode, but it's such a different reaction than we expect from Ozymandias. I think it points to how he what an arrested development like boy man he is, uh, despite the fact that he's winning. This is what I was talking about before, where like I think Alan Moore is subtly criticizing comic books like this man. He accomplished his goal, which was uh, horrifying to the world. He did save the world. Maybe, maybe not. And his response is a a child's response to uh, scoring a soccer goal. So he for all of his smarts, he's still just a. Big old stack of testosterone. But what's weird is that him doing that stops Dr. Manhattan in his tracks. Like he was the giant monster was going to grab him and squeeze his head and kill him. And then all of a sudden he yells, I did it like a five-year-old. And then all of a sudden everybody just gives up, walks away. This uh, Well, I want to talk about this next page as well. It's very tied to that and what you're saying, Pete, because this really threw me, this page. This is the page where everybody, Adrian Wright, lays it out. He says, hey, I did it. I saved the world. Everybody's working together. What do you think? Is it worse to let everybody know this is what it is and hostilities resume and the world probably gets destroyed? Or I already did it. I already killed millions of people. And now the world is at peace. Why don't we just go with that? And we get a series of panels where first Dr. Manhattan, then Laurie, then Night Owl, have two speech bubbles each, two to three speech bubbles each, where the first one is always, this is terrible. Why did he do this? This is so bad. And the second one in the same panel is, "Eh, you know what? It's okay. I think we're going to go with this. That ends in Rorschach in one bubble saying, joking, of course, at which point he walks out. Uh, But this is, I think, the first speech bubble structure thing that I've noticed in this book. Uh, What did you take away from the sequence? What were your thoughts on it? Because again, I was surprised that they rattled through these decisions so quickly. I was just, yeah, I was very uh, surprised by that, but also just like he's, everybody wants to kill him. Then he turns on a couple TVs and everybody, and he goes, I did it. And then everybody's cool with it. We're going to talk. Like, five seconds ago, your hand was crashing through a building to kill this guy, and now we're just, like, listening to him and pondering him and being like, you know what, guys, he's got some points. You just, he just tried to kill you a couple seconds ago, and now we're just talking shit out. And it's very upsetting. 
Well, but so do you think? Uh, do you think Adrian Veidt was right for what he did? If it, if he if it was true that the world was about to be blown up in nuclear warfare, did he do the right thing? Hmm. The, you don't know if that's true or not, though. Right, but I'm telling you, given those factors, did he do the right thing by sacrificing um, a, a million people in New York City or four million people in New York City um, and the comedian? Sacrificing them to save the rest of the world. No, yeah, but like which four million people in New York City? Dude, oh, that's fucked up. It, it was the four million worst New Yorkers. I mean, they were in <laughs> they were in Times <laughs> Square. Fine. So, oh yeah, oh, so it's mostly on, tourists man. and Elmos. <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of dead Elmos out there. Oh man, uh, <laughs> sorry, I know that's horrible um, to the Elmo fans out there. Yeah, um, but honestly, like, do you think he did the right thing? I I will say. So, yeah, I mean, that's the main question of this issue, right? Is, yeah. uh I think there's a difference, though, between was he right to do what he did versus now that he did what he did, do you expose him or go along with his plan? And Well, but I think uh, the fundamental my- question, I mean, if I think they go along with it because they... Uh, believe in the pragmatist argument that like he did do the right thing or that like what he did is tolerable because of what he how he saved the world. Right. I think it's the latter there. I think he already did it. They can't undo it. They can't bring those millions of people back to life that, or anything like that. Yes. What Pete? Dr. Manhattan was talking about time travel and he has time traveled. Why couldn't he go back and stop this guy? Because I think he thinks it was right. In, the, in this panel, he's like, this, no, he did it, and the world is a better place for it. Yeah, I do want to mention I said something wrong, actually, uh, on the speech bubble thing. Dr. Manhattan, in his panel, has two linked speech bubbles that basically say, no, you argued on Mars, Lori, that we should save life. Ultimately, the equation balances out to more life the way that Adrian Veidt did it. And it's only Laurie and Dan who have the two separated speech bubbles where Laurie says, never tell anyone we really have to buy this. And then she says, Jesus, he was right. All we did was fail to stop him saving Earth. Jesus, Night Owl basically does the same thing. And then Rorschach has his one paddle joking, of course, and that's it. Um, I, to answer your question, though, he's absolutely wrong, Adrian Veidt. Mm-hmm. I, from my perspective, no, there is no sacrifice of life is right. But there is a part of me that understands the thought of he already did it. If you expose him, it's only going to make things worse again. Interesting. So you like the passive argument of just being like, well, I may as well not say something and go along with it. You're saying he's wrong because he wasn't sure that it, it would mm-hmm. actually be the end of the world? I think that's part of it. I think also there's no scenario where killing millions of people is the right decision to go. Well, I mean, th- this is a direct uh, sort of extension of the end of World War II, dropping the nuclear bombs on on Hiroshima mm-hmm. and Nagasaki, I think. And uh that those those questions are the most difficult ones for all of history, but it's a it's, it's tough. It's hard well, to say. I think I, I don't think he should be able to play God. I wouldn't go along with it. I'm, that's why I like Rorschach. Rorschach's exactly. the only one's like fuck this shit. I'm out. 
Yeah, there's, and, but then he ends uh, up being killed. Well, fine. You gotta kill. Sometimes you gotta die for what you believe in. But like, it, it's bullshit that he gets to do this and he gets to profit off it and he gets to live like a king off the fact that he was just. I'm just gonna kill a bunch of people and blame it on a squid. But I think the, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, never blame anything on a squid. Yeah. Uh, I just Except want to for mention how good something the calamari that you, is. You can blame yeah, the squid for that. that. Blame the squid oh. for that. Oh, man, you're too delicious, buddy. I, <laughs> I can't stop eating to, you. Just had to eat you and dip you in some uh, sweet chili sauce. <laughs> oh, I do want to mention, uh, Justin, you uh, mentioned Hiroshima, and I think that's very apt given that we've seen the Hiroshima lovers sprinkled throughout the entirety of this comic book. Um, for whatever reason, that didn't occur to me, but I think you're 100% on the money there in terms of that being the metaphor they're talking about. Um, because, yeah, I, I think with I, what I potentially would say they're leaving us with here is that there's always going to be that collateral damage. There's always going to be those innocents who suffer even though you think you're making the right decision for the world. And then the question becomes... Do you do what's right for the world, or you do do you do what's right for the individual? And that's what I think Rorschach's choice comes down to, in a weird way. And Pete, I know you're going to yell at me at this, but I think Rorschach's decision is selfish. Oh fuck you, man! <laughs> it's, I'm not. No, I'm not saying I disagree with him. I'm just saying he is making the selfish decision to say I'm going to do what is morally right for me, not necessarily what more is morally right for the world. So you, but that's not. You don't know if that's why he's doing it. I think he thinks uh, truth is what he needs to, you know, put the truth out there. Justice must be served. That kind of thing. But who is he doing that for? For all the people who died because he wanted to go launch a squid at New York City. I guess I could see that potentially. But if that, but I mean, I, it, but if that results in the world then going back and being blown up. Is that the right choice? Well, I mean, what do you... I don't know, man. If you ask somebody whose mom got blown up in New York City, we're like, well, we did it for the right, you know, for everybody as a whole, because maybe a war would have broke out, and maybe the retaliation would have been... It's a lot of maybes, man. That guy It's a lot of maybes, but people. how about this? But telling... Sometimes there are plenty of times in our lives where we don't speak harsh truths because we're trying to make the life easier for us and everyone around us. You don't see someone with one eye on the street and say, like, most people have two eyes. <laughs> because you're like, you know, that does, that's a truth that doesn't need to be pointed out to that person. And that, so, like, to extend that uh, all the way out to this, at this point, to Alex's point, like, they, they, they accept what's happened. They, real, they believe you that the You got somebody great, can travel in time. You shouldn't accept what happened. He can't, he can't travel, he can't in, travel time, in time. He can't he travel can't, in time. He just exists in every time simultaneously. He's aware of what's happening all the time. Maybe his blue smart ass should figure something out, man. Oh, damn. He's coming for you, man. Dr. Manhattan is coming for you. Uh, Also, on the plus side, I would say that guy whose mom died in uh, the Manhattan squid accident, he's still got some nice galamad. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) That's right. They're going to eat for weeks. (laughs) Uh, Then Adrian Veidt leaves because he's like, hey, I'm feeling pretty good about everything. Uh, Got some final details. Rorschach walks out. Dr. Manhattan disappears. And Lori and Night Hour are left, and we 
go back to that thing that we talked about earlier where they make love by the pool. Really, if anything, I think this is just to give us that thing that you were hinting at earlier, Justin, which is we end with them by the pool. It's a reflection of them in the pool, just their shadows laid out exactly like the Hiroshima lovers. They are the thing that are left behind. That's it. Like, I think it's just a setup for that. Yeah. And they're doing the very human thing of like connecting and then having sex. Yeah. Sure, sure. Which yeah. right we're going to do at the end of this podcast, just... right? What? Sorry, Pete. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cool. No, I just uh, think that it's like <laughs> it's not realistic. You just had too much shit happen to you. I mean, I, I mean, maybe. Uh, but I do think some people like to fill a gap of, or a trauma up with <laughs> some some sex. All right. All right. Yeah. Also, there's another interesting thing about the sequence, which is that Lori pulls off Dan's mask. And earlier, the whole thing has been just to be blunt about it, like he's only been able to get it up because of the costumes and the heroics. And that's it. He's been impotent. Otherwise, here they are stripped bare. They have become themselves. They finally can be just Dan and Lori. They don't have to be Silk Spectre and so Night Owl anymore. So you're saying for this guy to get a boner, like four million people have to die. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, yeah. who? Let he who is, you know, without sin throw the first stone. That's all I'm wow. saying. <laughs> wow. I don't know if that applies there, Alex, but I like it. <laughs> Let he who is without sin get the first boner after the disaster. <laughs> like Jesus uh, preached. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, uh, Alex, I just wanted to, between that panel of the uh, Dan and Lori's um, shadows on the wall and the next panel, there's something that resembles that, but in a different place. So it's two separate pictures or ideas put next to each other. And is there a term that uh, you would use a, there? A good mm-hmm. Like to the, the two, the position of both of those things are uh, interesting. Yeah, I would I would call it something like beside myselfism or uh, par- parallels, parallels, yeah, near, near, nearitude. Yeah. Uh, the ducks, ducks to the Dexter's laboratory, Dexter's laboratory, Dexter's laboratory. That's what it is. The, the, the just in position of these two images is very, (laughs) it's very cool. Oh, you did point that out. So that's a good name for it. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. The brand, get the brand out there. Yes. So yes, of course it does cut to Rorschach's mask. It's, uh, uh, there's no way of not seeing the Hiroshima lovers in his mask, even though I guess you can see whatever you want in his Rorschach blot. Uh, and then we get one of the most famous sequences in the book as Rorschach walks outside. Dr. Manhattan approaches him and says, where are you going? He says, back to Alship, back to America. Evil must be punished. People must be told. Dr. Manhattan says, Rorschach, you know I can't let you do that. And he says, huh, of course, must protect Veidt's new utopia. One more body amongst foundations makes little difference. Well, what are you waiting for? Do it. He says, Rorschach. And he takes off his mask and screams, do it. And Dr. Manhattan just blasts him apart, leaving his blood smoking in the snow. And that's it. It's a hell of a way to go out. Man, uh, we've been talking about the last couple of issues, how Rorschach, and I think we all agree on this, has been regaining his humanity. This, to me, truly is the pinnacle of that, him finally taking off the mask, 
being human, being himself, sobbing, looking directly into the camera and saying, do it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I agree with that. The thing that, that's bothered me about this right now is why is Dr. Manhattan doing this dirty work? Like a couple yeah. pages, a couple pages later, he's like, I'm leaving Earth behind. I don't care what happens. I'm going to go make my own planet. Um, so what does he care whether whatever happens here? Exactly. Uh, why is he killing dudes on the way out? Like, why, why isn't Adrian Veidt who comes out here and is like, mm-hmm. come on, man. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of wrap up from Dr. Manhattan over the next couple of pages. He takes care of Rorschach. He, as we mentioned, looks over Lori and Dan, who are lying there post-coital, bathes them in blue light, almost like they're his children. He walks over water and then he walks through walls until he uh, encounters Adrian. They have a brief conversation he drops some info on him. The, the, just to throw something out of here, this is kind of off the top of my head, but certainly there's a lot of God imagery happening here, right? So yeah. given that this is Ozymandias post-Tachyon's, post-Squid Explosion, post the point when he knew what was going to happen, it's a new world, and he is the God of the new world, So he is really doing some Old Testament shit here. He's smiting people. He's looking at Adam and Eve laying in the garden. He's Mm. walking over the water. He is talking to his acolyte, his Adam, and leaving him with some wisdom. Potentially, that's what we're going for here. Uh, I think that's right. I also think he gets way too close to their naked bodies on that that (laughs) owl cape. Uh, I'd also like to say, Zelda, don't go off script like this, all right? When you go... You know, start making stuff up that you're going to oh, yeah, say. Sorry about that. Like, yeah, yeah. Do you just thought of that, Alex? It just came to you right then. Yeah, sorry about that. I know. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, this might not be immediately clear, but uh, Pete spends usually sixty hours a week scripting out our podcast yeah. for us. Yeah, these are not improvised in any way, including what I'm saying right now. It's kind of amazing that Pete actually scripted this part about us being unscripted when I just went I'm, off script. I'm a good writer. Uh, Yeah, you're an amazing writer, Uh, so I apologize for doing that. You're really, I would say, Pete, the Dr. Manhattan of this podcast. Hey, fuck you, man. No, 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 I'm just saying because your dick is... Come on, all the characters. You're You're just your dick. It's just hanging out. That's why... Uh, Sorry, sorry, line? Pete, could you give me my line? Uh, No, Pete, if anything, you're the Ozymandias of this podcast. Oh, man. What do you want to be? What do you want to be in this podcast, Pete? The Rorschach? Rorschach? Yep. All right, we'll blast you apart at the end of this. Yeah, exactly. When this podcast ends, it's the only you way to die, Pete. man. To be Here's exploded. The thing, though. the thing, though, is nothing ends. Nothing ever ends. You know? Oh, boy. You know what I I'm saying? I hope this podcast yeah. ends at some point. Oh, shit. Not no, it's not. It's going <laughs> to go on for hours at this point. Uh, so uh, I do want to ask about this sequence, though. As Dr. Manhattan walks up to Adrian Fight, he walks into the middle of. I think it's a model of an atom, which would probably make sense for Dr. Manhattan. And then the solar says system the, also the solar system. Uh, and he says, John, wait, before you leave, I did the right thing. Didn't I, it all worked out in the end. And Dr. Manhattan says in the end, nothing ends. Adrian, nothing ever ends. He says, John, wait, what do you mean by, and Dr. Manhattan disappears. What did he mean by that? What did he mean by nothing ever ends? 
Um, I mean, this whole sequence is interesting because the panel right after that, to add it to what we're talking about, Adrian Vite is looking, um, he's positioned away from the camera, his shadow is looming in front of him, and he looks uh, ashamed or scared about um, what has just happened. I'm really surprised you don't know what he means by that. This is a plug for The NeverEnding Story, which is a movie that came out very soon after this. Oh, uh, right. It's a tease. Yeah. Another product tie-in from Alan Wild Wings Moore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes sense, then. That explains why Falcor shows up on the next page. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I do. Go I ahead, think, Justin. I think what he's saying is... Um, he, first off, he's brushing him back and saying, like, did I do the right thing? He's like, come on, man, grow up. That's not, I thought we were beyond these human concerns. Because I do think these two characters in this uh, issue are like, we're bros. We make big decisions. Cool that cool what you did. You got the best of me. Um, and this is Dr. Manhattan in one last moment being like, ha, I'm still a god. I know that nothing ever ends because I see beyond you. You're, at the end of the day, you're just a human Great, hey, great job on this plan. Great game out there, but I'm a, a, I'm mm-hmm. a, a god. Yeah, I think that may, makes sense. It also points to, again, like a five-page beyond tease, but it teases what happens at the end of the issue, which is even though we're getting to the end of the comic book, comics continue, stories continue, uh, they can continue beyond something that I do want to touch on in a couple of pages here. Uh, but I think that's also what he's setting up, that it is Alan Moore being metatextual here as well. Yeah. Uh, and also, th- this story doesn't end. Maybe Dr. Manhattan is has seen that uh, Rorschach's journal will eventually come out. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is far from over for you, Ozymandias. Yeah. Uh, let's... Then we get into the next sequence, which we've already talked about quite a bit, where Laurie and Dan show up at Sally Jupiter's place. They're sporting new hairdos, uh, new looks. Dan has a very terrible mustache on. Uh, nothing wrong with mustaches in general, but he has a very bad mustache, I would say. And uh, we get that kiss on the photograph that we talked about earlier, that complicated kiss. Um, anything further to say about this sequence, though? I mean, just looking at it, she it's not like she's sweetly kissing that photo. She's upset. And th- we see in the foreground in the last look at it, like the lipstick on the picture, and she's like sobbing. So I do think at the very least, this is a very complicated moment and not a like expression of like, you know what? I guess I do love the man who assaulted me. Yeah. The other thing that I will mention that I forgot about that happens right before this is as Dan and Laurie are walking off, they talk about, hey, you know what? Maybe we should be masked vigilantes again. Uh, And Night Owl, sorry, Dan says, Night Owl and Silk Spectre sounds neat. And she says, Silk Spectre's too girly, you know? Plus, I want a much better costume that protects me. Maybe something with leather with a mask over my face. Also, maybe I ought to carry a gun which cuts to then her kissing the picture of comedian. It's very clear. She's talking about the comedian's costume. That's what he wore leather, a face mask, carried a gun. Um, So to the point that you were bringing up earlier, Pete, I think Laurie's journey, you could say over the course of this comic book is going from being inspired by almost the worst aspects of her mother to being inspired by the best aspects of her father. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, that's weird. That's a weird thing. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, man. 
Uh, well, I don't he, know. If you, it, I mean, when I've read it and then reread it, I didn't know that she was like, "Yeah, I want to carry." I think she wants to carry a gun because uh, you know it's a fucked up world. I, I don't know if she was trying to be the comedian, but that's one way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, there's the the thing from the riots uh, right after the bombs are dropped in the Vietnam no, War. No, I want to yeah, say I know yeah, the comedian's yeah. outfit. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. All right. Well, then we get the last couple of pages. Uh, we see uh, a headline that says RR to run in 88, which is Robert Redford running for president. Uh, one world, one accord. We see the millennium perfume. In the panel above, we see uh, burgers in borscht. So like, yes. uh, Russian stuff is cool in New York City, obviously. I thought it's yep. interesting. In the next panel, we have watched the skies rather than uh, who watches the watchman mm. uh, graffiti down the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, so everything has changed, uh, and we see two people who did survive the massacre in New York are the Nebishi assistant uh, and the head of the conspiracy newspaper. He's pretty pissed off. They've got to fill some stuff, but nobody wants to piss off the Russians anymore because there's the tentative peace. Uh, and you talked extensively about this a couple of episodes back, Justin. But this dude is wearing the comedian's button on his shirt. He's told to get something from the crazy pile. And he goes and immediately potentially reaches for Rorschach's journal and says, I leave it entirely in your hands. And yeah. there's so many things going on in that one panel. It's such a lovely last panel. It's great. It's so smart. Nice little twist of the knife at the end. But, but maybe he just, just reached. He just reached over the journal and grabbed a letter that said, "Elvis is my dad," and uh, yeah. that's what changes the world. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it is just a smiley face T-shirt that he spills ketchup on. It's not like he went out and bought a you know Watchman T-shirt. <laughs> but I uh, think that it's again Alan Moore all about that product placement. You know oh, what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, that Alan Moore g- special gloopy ketchup that he sells on the side. <laughs> Dude, that ketchup is good, though. Yeah, it is very good. Really uh, ketchup gloopy. No, so uh, the couple of things that I take away for going on the panel. One, it's the comedian's final joke, right? Is yeah. that uh, ultimately the journal is there. Two, is he reaching for the journal? Is he reaching for a letter? That's up to your interpretation. Uh, and that last thing, I leave it entirely in your hands. That's Alid Bohr saying it to the reader that I leave it up to you. What do you think happens next? And it's funny to me to see that ending, given the preciousness that's been over Watchmen over the past several decades. And we've certainly talked about this quite a bit, but with things like the Watchmen movie, with things like before Watchmen, which is a project that DC Comics did where they told stories about these characters before the events of Watchmen, and particularly with the Watchmen HBO series, where people have said no Watchmen is this untouchable masterpiece. And what I almost take away, and even to the point where Alan Moore is like, you know what, take my name off of this thing. I don't want to be involved in this. But uh, this last panel, it's very clear to me that he's saying comics continue. That's the point, is that nothing ever ends like Dr. Manhattan says earlier. So I leave it up to you. If you're going to continue it, you're going to tell more of the story, fine. If you're not going to tell more of the story, that's fine, too. Ultimately, we've said what we need to say in this 12 issues, and we're done. Yeah, I agree. It's, 
he means like I leave it entirely in your hands except for uh, movies, television, other comic <laughs> books, or really anything at all associated with this thing you just finished reading. Yeah. yeah. As long as it's mayo chip, yeah. then it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Watchman Brad mayo chip. Uh, cool. And then uh, we don't get any back matter here. I have the deluxe version, so there's some very neat back matter where there's development art that Dave Gibbons did that he Whoa, contributed flex. here. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty cool. I don't yeah, want to brag up, too time? much. Uh, but it's neat. I definitely recommend picking it up if you can, just because there's also some French portfolio covers that he did that have all the individual characters on the cover. Um, there's nothing too shocking in here, but... It's just great to see the additional information and everything. Before we wrap this up, we've certainly talked quite a long time about this 12th issue here. Any final thoughts on Watchmen, the comic book? Pete? Uh, Go ahead. Uh, I mean, it's it's an insane story that takes people places and, like, really rips and tears at your you know, questioning of life and what we're supposed to be doing. It's, you know, it's a powerful piece and it's really well done. Yeah. Justin, what about you? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, very similar to Pete, like this is like, there's a reason this comic is held up as the, the quote unquote best comic or like the ultimate, uh, Holy grail of the comic book industry. And I think, we could talk about this forever. There's so much depth to it, so much complexity. Uh, it's, a lot of people read this being like, this is a great superhero team. And this is like so far from what they actually are. They're just like a bunch of complicated, messed up characters who uh, heroes and villain. The, the line between hero and villain is blurred throughout this whole series. Uh, it's it's great. I yeah. always recommend reading this only after you've read many years of other comics. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing I was going to say, too, just to bring it back to what we mentioned in our preview episode in the first episode, just to, you know, really wrap this up. But don't read it first, but I, I'm so happy we read it again because it's a good book just beyond the density, beyond the weight of it that it's had in comic book culture. It's a fun book to read. It's a good story. It's well-drawn. It's well-colored. Um, and it's an entertaining mystery throughout. So that, to me, has been the big thing that I've taken away from it, is I feel like I have a better appreciation of it, not just on a textual level, but just also on an entertainment level, that it's the sort of thing you can recommend to people as, hey, this is something you can take a lot away from or a little away from, but uh, at the same time, you're going to get something from it. Yeah. Now, a little order of business before we move on. Starting next episode, we're going to move to once a week for our episodes. We're going to be recapping episodes of the HBO show. Those air Sundays on HBO, so our episodes recapping and breaking down those episodes will go up a little later in the week, so stay tuned for that uh, versus the twice-a-week schedule we've been doing for the comic book. Um, But... That said, for any information on that and when that's coming up, uh, you can check us out at Watchman Watch Podcast on either Instagram or Facebook. You can also do Watchman Watch One on Twitter, patreon.com slash comic book club to support the show and many more. And please do, if you can chip in a couple of bucks to do things like transcripts, etc., cost a little bit of money. So we really appreciate the support. 
Plus, we've been having, as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, some great discussions about Watchmen in our Watchmen Watch Room on our Patreon-only Slack. So we would love to have you join there. That would be awesome. We also do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. So come on down. We'll chat with you about Watchmen and other things. And remember, we taped this episode 35 minutes ago. And I'm Alan Moore, signing off. <gasps> he came back! <laughs>